bad thing happens, you can either let it destroy you, define you, or strengthen you. Choose wisely. This is Mark Devine with the Unveiled Minds Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Super stoked to have my guest, Chris Gronkowski, on. I will introduce him a little bit more formally in a moment. We're going to have a heck of a fun conversation about all sorts of things that are going to be valuable to you. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this on April 21st, so if you're like me, you're sheltering in place and hopefully having fun <laughs> and thriving. And if you're not, we're going to give you some insights on how to thrive under pressure. Um, before I go further, I did a webinar uh, a short while ago, which I thought would be really valuable to share with you. And it was how to overcome fear and stress and to thrive in VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times, which are obviously at our doorstep. I think that it's always been here, but it's been a little bit hidden behind this veneer of stability. But now it's come out and peaked its head out, right? And so VUCA is the new normal. And so get ready for it. And it's not going away. So we need to train ourselves for the new normal to become stronger, better, more adaptable, more resilient, more courageous, um, like a Navy SEAL. So anyways, uh, if you want to access that training, that webinar, it's like 45 minutes to an hour long and also access the free training that is, um, we, we offered at, at the end of that, which is a 30 days of our Unbeatable Mind training for free so that you can begin your Unbeatable Mind journey if you're not on it already. Go to unbeatablemind.com slash free30, F-E-R-E-E, three zero. Unbeatablemind.com slash free30. Okay, so Chris Gronkowski, you probably heard the Gronkowski name. He's uh, part of a kind of a famous football family, five brothers who all went in the NFL. Is that right, Chris? All brothers, all five of your brothers were in there? So all of them, besides the oldest brother, Gordy, he actually uh, oh, okay. he was a little too scared to play football, so he ended up playing baseball instead. Did he play professional baseball? Yeah, he went to college, and then he ended up getting drafted uh, late, but he was in uh, the minor leagues for a while and um, was oh, drafted. Incredible athletic team. I can't wait to learn more about it. And um, – so, Chris, you are also a – so you played in the NFL, I see, for the Cowboys, the Bronx, and the Colts. Uh, and then when then you uh, transitioned into entrepreneurship and have developed um, a product and a business around that. You were on the Shark Tank, so you've met one of my heroes, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. <laughs> How do we yep. say his name? Cuban? <laughs> that guy's a trip. And he's been in the news a little bit lately. Kind oh, of yeah. Ding in the, the Small Business Administration's payroll protection plan. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> I look forward to talking about all that. But I tell you what, I, I had a number of NFL players on this show and, and I've also had uh, a few NFL players in the past as coaches for my SealFit program. And the reason they work so well is because the mindset of the NFL player has similarities to the mindset of an elite warrior. There are some differences. Obviously, the risk level is a little bit higher but I, the, the best of the NFL players are really like the best of the SEALs, right? And they, they just, they're just different. And it's interesting to talk about that because in one of my principles, and I don't know if you share this, is that everybody can do that. Everybody can be an NFL player. If you're given the raw material and anybody could be a Navy SEAL, again, given the raw material, 
it's just what you do with your time and your put, where do you put your focus and how do you develop yourself? And, you know, how do you essentially create those, the conditions so that you're worthy of even being looked at and being given the shot? You know what I mean? So it's, it's cool for people to recognize that all of us started somewhere, right? I, even a Navy SEAL started with his first set of push-ups, right? And I'm sure that you had a similar thing because you didn't have to go in an NFL. You could have, you could have been a lazy shit and, and had nothing, you know, had no chance at the NFL, but you weren't, right? And there's a reason that you weren't. Anyway, so let me get off my little soapbox there and <laughs> tell us about the, um, like the early years. What was it like gr- growing up with four brothers and this, I think your, was your father a football uh, NFL guy too? Or Yeah, my did, dad, how did uh, he, played, he played in college. Uh, he didn't make it to the NFL level. Uh, he was actually, you know, he had us when he was young. Um, oldest brother he had when he was 23 years old. And uh, wow. I was the middle of five boys and we were five big boys and uh, I was super competitive. Uh, our parents they wanted us to, to get outside. They just wanted mm-hmm. us to you know, get all that energy out because it was a lot. You know, it was it was a four bedroom house, five boys, bunk beds, the whole deal. And we were also yeah. that house on the block that all of our friends came to. So it wasn't oh, just that right? <laughs> and this is Buffalo, New five. York, right? Plus, yeah, plus, plus two, uh, three friends as well. So, you know, every day there'd be 10 to 15 kids over. And it was all about, you know, playing sports in the backyard, in the basement. And every day ended up in a fight as well. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> These are Buffalo, New York, tough kids. You know, you get through one of those winners or you have to go through those winners every year, man. You yeah, it's, it's, tough, it's, uh, you know, for us, it was awesome. And when it was 40 degrees out, I was wearing shorts and I thought it was warm out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we just, um, our, our parents taught us hard work is mm-hmm. really what it came down to. A lot of people ask, how did you know, four of you make it to the NFL? And in the fifth one, you know, go on to also play professional. And it really, it was earned every single thing that you had. Mm-hmm. Our parents never handed us anything. Uh, even when we got scholarships, a lot of kids would get a free car or the parents would buy them a car and all that. Even at that point, it was still, you know, if you want a car, you're buying a car. If you want to go to college, you're paying for college. So you better get that scholarship uh, unless you want to pay. So we're always kind of, um, you know, raised that we were going to get what we deserved. And that was it. We weren't going to ever have hand me outs, no matter what, even when my parents did have money, uh, my dad, uh, he's, he's, he's an entrepreneur as well. Worked two jobs when he was younger, but once they got to the point where they could give us whatever we wanted, it was still, you guys have to earn it. We're, we're not mm-hmm. just handed you anything. And it's still to this day, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. Did you have any like milestone moments or hardships that you think helped solidify that kind of attitude or your, you know, your drive as a kid? I mean, I had a few moments that, you know, I've shared in some of my books, you know, like where I had a, you know, like a, a run in with cancer and it wasn't cancer. It was a mistake, but I got misdiagnosed and told I had six months to live. So that was like a defining moment for me. And I I almost killed myself once by tripping over a garbage can and driving a wooden stick, like through the roof of my mouth. You know, all these things that made me really strong as a Navy SEAL, (laughs) you know, really influenced my childhood. So did you have any defining moments like that, that you could? Yeah. I mean, I think my defining moment really was, um, it was actually when, when my brothers went on and got scholarships. Um, my older brother, uh, Gordy, first in baseball, and my other brother, Dan. And, and at that point, it was almost like, hey, uh, you know, this was kind of a trend throughout my whole life. But at that point in high school, it was, you know, these guys did it. Why can't I do it? Um, I was also the smallest, the shortest in the family. Uh, 
but I knew there's still a chance and, and they gave me hope. So that, that was huge. And, um, you know, that transferred later on in life as well, because they all got drafted up until the point that, um, I, it was my turn. Uh, it was actually my, my younger brother, Rob, who got drafted before me in the same draft. Really? And, um, you know, I went undrafted. So at that point it was like, Hey, you know, same thing where in my life it was, you know, if you want determination, if you want to, in the back of your mind, you know, you want to have a chip on your shoulder, let all three of your brothers, including one of them be your younger brother, get drafted uh, before you. And then you go undrafted uh, to the NFL. Interesting. Yeah. I could see how that would be motivating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Not wanting it was, to be the only outcast. Was the one right? thing I didn't want to hear for the rest of my life was, you know, what happened to you? You know, why, why did the rest of your whole family make it? And, uh, you know, right. didn't, you know, what, what was wrong? And that was the one question I didn't want to hear over and over and over. It definitely drove me to a, a whole nother level. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What was some of the internal dialogue that you developed as a young um, athlete, as a younger guy? And, and did it come from your father or your mother? Or was it just kind of part of who you were? Because, you know, uh, mindset is so driven by our, our self-talk, right? Yeah. Is that like, uh, it, it was kind of the same way. Uh, our parents always taught us hard work and that internal thing was that no one would ever outwork us, uh, no matter how talented we were. And, um, I still remember this story because we were always, we were always the most talented on the teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad always practiced with us. We were always competing with our older brother. So we were always, you know, you, the best player on the team. And, uh, I still remember to this day when I've talked back to one of my coaches when my dad wasn't there. And he just got on me about it and said, you know, you don't know who you're talking to like that. Uh, you never disrespect anyone, no matter what, you know, they could come back and help you later on in life. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a defining moment for me as well, where I was like, wow, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't really realize what I was doing. Um, I was disrespecting the coach that was there just to help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy wasn't getting paid. You know, he was there because his kid was there and, and he was trying to make me the best player that I could be. And my dad just hounded me for that. And, and that was really a time in my life where I was like, wow. And, and that guy ended up being the athletic director at the university of Buffalo where I got my first scholarship offer. So he was right, which mm-hmm. was, uh, it was just came full circle as well, which was so crazy about it. That's amazing. Now you, did you play for four years at Buffalo or how? Actually, I was going to go to the university of Penn. I was going mm-hmm. Ivy league. Um, mm-hmm. Buffalo was, you know, they were, they were just developing. They just went division one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the program, it was rough. I mean, they had no mm-hmm. indoor who's snowing out every day and, uh, they weren't winning any games at all. And for me too, I, I watched my older brothers, you know, leave town and, um, have success. So right. I didn't want to stay at home, uh, was this the thing as well. So, um, I was actually going to the university of Pennsylvania. I had, uh, been accepted into the Wharton business school, uh, so which was actually nice. a huge achievement that most people yeah. don't get. And, mm-hmm. uh, at the last minute, I actually got a scholarship offer to the University of Maryland. And mm-hmm. my brother, Dan, was there. He was doing pretty well. Uh, but at the end of the day, what, what's funny about the whole story is they pretty much offered me because they lost a bunch of guys that couldn't pass. Uh, and they were also about to go on academic probation. So they pretty much brought me in to bump up the grades. So I tell <laughs> people all the time, you know, you might think that athletic talent is the most important thing for football uh, and for a scholarship. But in my case... I actually got an athletic scholarship because of my academics. Interesting. And this is at Maryland. This was at Maryland. At yeah. Maryland. And I, I later went and um, I ended up transferring after my second year and playing at Arizona with my brother, Rob. So I got okay. to play with my brother, Dan first, and then uh, transferred and played with my brother, Rob and finished my career uh, oh, at Arizona. Wow. And you got out of the cold. <laughs> 
but a yeah, different environment. Yeah, I mean, Maryland was a little warmer than Buffalo, but uh, yeah, it was a little nicer in Arizona for sure. You know, this is a complete aside, but I've always wondered, you know, if there's any stats on how West Coast teams or whatever it is, like teams that are, are in warmer clients, how they fare when they go play in the cold snow, like in New England or Buffalo. Is there any stats uh, on that? I wonder. Yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, so once you get used to the heat, it's a lot easier to go somewhere else and play. And uh, this also happened when I was in Denver as well, where we got used to the elevation. And then oh, we right. go play at sea level and you just, you could run all day. Uh, but same way, uh, ended up playing for the Cowboys too. And at that time, it was actually the year after the indoor facility blew over and a lot of guys got hurt. So we didn't have an indoor. So we were actually practicing in the heat. And if you can get through that heat, you can play anywhere after that. So I think it's actually a huge advantage to be able to play in the heat and then go up north. And um, when you're yeah. actually playing in the cold weather, you don't feel it because you have the adrenaline rush. But also in the NFL, I mean, you got you got those heat warming benches. I mean, right. when you're not actually on the field, you, you're have, sitting on a, you have everything you're possible warm. to keep warm. So That's uh, the cold really isn't that bad. It's, you know, it just seems like the cold would be really hard to play in because, you know, your, your hands are going to be freezing and catching the ball. And, but that makes a lot of sense. Heat is actually more debilitating, I think. I think the human being, you know, unless it's long-term exposure to cold and it's going to go hypothermic, you know, kind of has a lot of strategies for how to handle it. But the heat can be can take people out really quickly, can it? Yeah. The dehydration, bad. right? The cold, the only time uh, it really affects you is the ball gets really hard. Right. Uh, so right. if it's cold and wet, it's, it's, it's very challenging. But um, other than that, the, the cold really wasn't too bad. So let's talk about the uh, transition from college football to um, NFL. You know, a lot of people are curious about that. NFL's, you know, the elite and there's a lot of energy around it in this country. What was that like for you? You you said you didn't get drafted. You had to walk on and, and, you know, what was the process like and what were some of the big insights you had or lessons? Yeah, so I went undrafted, uh, pretty much got a call within a minute after the draft. Uh, I played a position where really, you know, maybe two or three guys got drafted. Uh, on an NFL roster, they're going to carry one fullback. Uh, in the whole entire NFL, they're probably going to have about 28 guys. So, uh, you know, really I was competing with 28 guys in the whole world to make a team. Uh, so I really knew, uh, you know, this is one shot, one opportunity, and that was my mindset. Uh, at that time, I, I, you know, I went undrafted to the Cowboys in 10 years. The previous 10 years, they had never kept an undrafted free agent on the roster. So uh, hmm. the odds were definitely against me at that point. And so, uh, you know, you go in and you're with all the other rookies. You actually go in early uh, and you train. It, it's, hmm. um, you know, three months and it was my mindset was I am just going to do everything that I possibly can to make this team. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was, I was lucky. Uh, you know, I, I went all out, I got healthy, I did everything I could. And when the time came, my agent actually put me in a spot where the fullback that was there was getting, got into some trouble over the summer. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of, you know, possibly on his way out because of what he did. And so I, I really had this opportunity that if, if I could at least perform as good as him or better, you know, I was going to have a really good chance of making this team. So I knew that. And really it was a, it was a, it was, I was a different person then a whole different mindset. When you talk about mindset, you know, I, I was out there and mm -hmm. uh, I cared about one thing. It was making the team. And when I was on that field, all I cared about was getting my job done no matter what. And I was going to go until the whistle blew and mm -hmm. whatever I could do uh, to, to make myself look better. You know, I was going to do it. So 
that was it. That was, that was the mission. And, and I ended up getting the job done. And um, I was on that roster the, the first mm-hmm. game and ended up starting the whole year for the Cowboys. That's cool. So a few questions. Um, this is really for me. And I know a lot of listeners would be like, all right, Mark, come on. You know, we know this stuff, but I don't know much about football. Believe <laughs> that was I'm one of the weirdos that doesn't watch TV. And so I'll, I'll catch the Super Bowl once in a while. And that's where I actually first heard your name when you, I saw your brother Rob play last year, you know, and um, with Tom Brady. So anyways, dra- being drafted, does that mean they, the draftees automatically have a contract that is all defined with money and everything like that and benefits? And an undrafted means you, you've got nothing. You just got to go prove yourself. Yeah. So what, it's actually most people don't know this. So when you say you don't know it, actually, a lot of people don't realize this either. On a team, an NFL team, you probably have 10 guys that make over a million dollars. It's interesting. Most people would think, wow, you guys are all rolling in the dough. Yeah, absolutely. Only us, 10 uh, guys. Huh? My rookie year, I, I started for the Cowboys. I played in every game. You know, I played in, I think, 400 plays. And you know, I, that year, I made $315,000. Uh, after taxes, you know, I, I probably had 170K in my bank account mm-hmm. uh, you know, after taxes and living expenses. So, no, so the contracts, even when you're drafted, Unless you're a first or second round pick, you know that initial money that you get isn't guaranteed. So a first round draft pick will get a he'll get a big bonus, and you know it will extend into a couple more years. But say someone like a fourth round pick, uh, he might get a half a million dollars, but that's given to him in year one. And after that, if he gets cut, he actually gets paid nothing. Uh, wow. For me, I went in and um, you know I got a ten thousand dollars signing bonus. That was my signing bonus. I could, you know, take it or leave it. And I, the cool thing about my position was I could actually pick what team I wanted to be on. Interesting. Uh, whereas someone who gets drafted, say you're the second last draft pick, uh, like my brother Dan was, he actually went to a team that took him because of value. And because of that, you know, he was behind four other tight ends that were pretty good players that they were going to keep. And so it kind of put him in a tough spot. Uh, so for me, I actually got to pick which team that I wanted to go to because I was undrafted, which actually ended up being a pretty strategic benefit for me. Uh, but at that point, uh, you sign this contract and I signed a three-year deal. And what they try to do is, and what they ultimately do, especially for someone undrafted, is they're going to give you the least amount possible and try to lock you up for the longest time possible. Of course. Yeah, that's negotiating so, one-on-one, right? <laughs> yep. So, wow. uh, you know, I signed this three-year deal. And if I get cut on day one, I get paid nothing. Uh, if I'm on the roster uh, on Wednesday of game week, I get paid. So then the next week, if I'm on the roster on Wednesday, I get paid again. Oh, wow. But if the next week I get cut before Wednesday, I actually get paid absolutely nothing. And then to actually get any benefits, you have to play for at least three years and at least three games. So uh, they call them credited seasons. So if you play in three games or you're on the roster for three, three games, you get a credited season. If you get three credited seasons, uh, you get all the benefits. So you, you're going to get pension. Uh, you're going to get retirement, 401k, all that. But if you don't, so if if you go two and a half years, you actually get nothing. Absolutely no retirement benefits. You're on the street getting paid nothing, uh, you know, unless you get called back. Sorry about that. My wife also has a full-time business as well, so she didn't even see him slide right by. <laughs> Jeff and I were just uh, commenting about how many, we're wondering how many babies are going to come out of this uh, COVID shelter in place. And he said that Ikea is already like stocking up on all this stuff for, for nine months from now. They, are they really? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got another one coming in the end of May. So wow, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Hopefully everything's kind of cleared up by then. Yeah. Let's hope so. Good luck with that. So we were talking about the draft and the contract. Like that, that all makes sense. So you don't really, 
you're not guaranteed to earn anything and, and they pay you week by week is what you said, which is pretty interesting. So that keeps the pressure on. And I'm curious though, what's the longevity of the average NFL player? Is it past three years or is it in that kind of three-year window? Is there a reason they put that three-year window? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, it's actually about two and a half years. So okay. it's actually purposely set at three because most guys don't make it there. Uh, so for me, when I, when I made it to my third year, that was a huge achievement for me. Oh, mm-hmm. I was a guy that actually thought I would never play uh, at that level. I was mm-hmm. always told, you know, one, one in a million. Uh, for me, I wasn't even the best player in my own family. I wasn't even the second best player in my own family. So, you know, that, that shot for me, I, I thought would never be there. So when I got three years, I got the pension, I got all that. You know, that was, that was huge for me. I was able to then go on and actually get a fourth year. And what happened was I actually got hurt in camp. But if you get hurt and released, they have to pay you until you're healthy again. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a high ankle sprain. Uh, it took me about three months to come back. And so they had to, at that time, they told me it was three weeks and they paid me for three game checks. So I actually got another season, but uh, it ended up taking me three months to actually recover and get back from it. Mm-hmm. So you played for three teams in four years? Yeah, I ended up playing uh, three different teams. And then my fourth year, I went to the Chargers and I got hurt in camp. So never actually oh. played a game for them, but um, right. was in camp with them. Wow. That's wild because, like, I guess I have this. Like most seals, you know, stay in and you know have a twenty-year career. I think our, I guess, attrition rate is really low, so the retention rate is really high in regards to career prospects, and that's pretty. It's pretty rough on our bodies, just like it is in the NFL. And we're not clashing with bodies all the time, but we are slinging bullets down range and getting shot at and jumping out of airplanes and you know spending time underwater so there's a lot of it's rough on the bodies absolutely at least we can think like you know anywhere most people go in and think okay at at a minimum i'm going to have a six-year career and likely i'll end up over 10 or 20 and then we don't vest any retirement until 20 though it's a whole different mindset so you guys you guys go in literally almost like surviving week to week and then it's year to year yeah, and most people aren't going to, most people don't make it to even year three. That's really stunning to me, even though it might be common knowledge out there. That's stunning. How long has your brother Rob been playing? So my brother Rob played nine years. Uh, he actually announced today that he, he's getting traded to the, the Buccaneers and he'll be coming back for a, for a 10th season. God, I, New England must be reeling to lose both your brother and Rob Gronkowski. And they were a great team together, weren't they? Oh yeah, him and him and Tom Brady. Uh, was that why did, did your brother kind of coax? Did Tom Tom coax him down there, or how did that come about? I th- I think he did. Uh, I don't I don't have the full details, and and you know my brother actually didn't even tell our family uh, until today. So I had a I had an idea because you know he he said he was training for life is kind of what he was explaining to us when we saw him doing these crazy workouts and. You know, and I, I couldn't tell if that was really the case or not, because I still train like I, I would be playing a game. Uh, it's kind of just in our blood. It's something we've done our sure. whole lives. And, and so to see him training hard wasn't really like a huge flag. And, uh, you know, he also then started catching passes and stuff like that on the weekend and got a little more suspicious with it. And, uh, right, right. you know, he ended up you know, telling us today that, that he, he, he thinks he has another year in him. So. Good for him. That'll put him at 10 years, right? Yeah, which is... Uh, Tom, Tom was in the news today, too, because um, people were criticizing him for, for practicing in a 
a park that was closed <laughs> due to the COVID virus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But where, yeah. else, where else is it going to flag us? In his basement? Come on. Yeah. Well, we don't have to get into all that stuff right now, but maybe later. What? So you mentioned, I was going to ask you what your training looked like when you were in the NFL, but actually I want to, I'm more curious of what it is right now. You mentioned you train hard. I love training. You know, not a day goes by where I don't do something hard and functional and also integrate my yoga and martial arts training. It really is the center post of my day. So what, what is yours like? What, how do you train every day now? Absolutely. Uh, my training has changed a lot just because of all the, the quarantine and the lockdowns. And for me, it was always, I was going to wake up at 4.30. I was mm-hmm. going to go to the gym and I would usually lift weights. And then I would actually, um, I would play basketball with a, a group of guys. So we'd play oh, cool. Monday through Thursday. Right. And that was really that, that competitive nature. And mm-hmm. it really was a stress reliever for me as well. So uh, when all this went down and I couldn't go to the gym anymore, it was tough at first for me. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a huge adjustment. Um, you know, I wake up at four thirty, but I couldn't do anything at four thirty. So <laughs> you know, my whole schedule just got completely thrown off, and uh, I struggled for about a week. And then I said, "Man, I need to just take a piece of paper and write down exactly what I'm going to do each day and get it done." Because mm-hmm. you know, once I got thrown off at four thirty, you know, it was hard for me to then come back and, and try to get a workout in. You know, mm-hmm. say at, at about one o'clock or whenever the kids were taking a nap, and it was changing all the time. So uh, mm-hmm. that was that was one of the hardest things for me. But now I kind of have it down. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do an at-home workout. I, what I've been doing actually is waking up. I've been running. I've never mm-hmm. been a runner. I've always mm-hmm. hated running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a pair of running shoes I was given because we uh, actually sponsored a, a charity team for the Boston Marathon, and uh, they sent me out a pair of shoes. And I'm like, I'm you know, I'm never going to use these things. I don't even know what the point is keeping them. So when I cleaned my house out during this whole quarantine, I actually put the shoes in the garbage. <laughs> that day, you I went and I took them back out, and I said. <laughs> You know, let's let's see what these things are all about. And uh, I started running and, and I like it because it's now that competitive challenge that I'm, I'm kind of missing from the, the lifting and from the playing basketball. So uh, I now challenge myself to run and uh, it's hard and it's mostly mental when it comes mm-hmm. down to it. So that's mm-hmm. why I really like it. And, and after that, it you know, I, I feel good and I'm ready to attack the day and, and I'm you know, I get that stress what, out. Well. What's, the, what's your running protocol? Do you do short, medium, long, or do you just like to go out and jog? Or how do you, what's your Yeah, so what plan? I've been doing is, you know, I, was, I was terrible at first. Uh, I couldn't even run a mile. The first time I did, uh, you know, I was, that, I was That's I was, unbelievable to hear from an NFL player. I was toast. Because uh, don't you have to run on the field as a fullback? I mean, what's that look like? Absolutely. Or those short it, sprints? Everything's, everything has always been interval training for me. And, and even uh-huh. in the NFL, it's been, um, and when we ride bikes, it would be 15 seconds as fast as you can. And then 45 right. seconds, you would coast. And, right. and that's exactly how an NFL play was. And then um, very similar to basketball as well, where it was kind of like this 15-second burst. And then you kind of you kind of relax a little bit. So we actually started doing this course called uh, Stadium Blitz, where we run through stadiums and uh, this obstacle course. And oh, at fun. the very end of it, it's about a 35-minute race. I was still sprinting up the stairs. And then I will kind of jog over and I jog back down. And uh the guys that were running it were like, I've never seen somebody run a, you know, this, a stadium like this. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, I've always trained. That's the way you've trained. Yeah. Right. For me to go and, and do long distance was, was, it was a challenge. It was hard for me to continue to do it. You know, I could, I could run fast and then I would, I would kind of, you know, uh, just kind of coast after that. So it was more mental block than anything though. Mm-hmm. And that's what I realized really quick was, if I, once I had enough just motivation to go and run a whole mile, it really wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, the mm-hmm. next day I ran two and the next day I ran three. And then I said, wow, 
uh, you know, I, I can actually do it. But in my mind, every second, especially at the beginning, I was just telling myself, you know, why, you know, stop, you know, stop. And <laughs> I finally had to start saying to myself, you know, why are you stopping? What's making you stop? And, you know, what actually hurts? And at the end of the day, it was nothing. It, right. it was just my mind. And it was, it was having to be stronger than my mind. And, and once I did that, you know, then I was able to run further and further and further. I love that. You know, anyone listening who's thinking, man, you know, I'm not sure if I really can run long distance or get out there. Well, you got an NFL player who <laughs> struggled to run a mile and then two and then three. And it all really is in the mindset. You're right. Because, I mean, these legs and these bodies were built for running. Now, if you've treated yourself poorly, you might have some remedial work to do, <laughs> right, to get into the condition to run. But anybody can start, you know, start with a fast-paced walk and then jog and then your first mile and then your second. But it's, it's what goes on up here that counts, right? Up in the head. Absolutely. You know, those are the self-talk and, you know, just those milestones and chunking it out into bite-sized chunks like you did. That's great. So you found a new skill. And I think that that essentially is, you know, one of the, my common themes that I, I've been talking a lot about, both with my team and family and also on these kind of podcasts is, man, what a great opportunity this is, right? So instead of sitting down and gnashing our teeth at, you know, having this shelter in place or deal with this whole kind of reaction to this COVID-19, what can we do different? What can we do better? And how can we come through this stronger, right? And, and more focused and actually maybe even have a new vision for the future. I think we can all ask better questions and come through this stronger, both individually, our teams, and, and even culture at large, right? And what are some of the things on that note? What are some of the things that, that you will do different after this? Obviously, it sounds like you'll keep running, <laughs> That's yeah, one thing. yeah, it's something I never thought I'd do, and um, I'm actually excited that I started because you know we do compete in the Stadium Blitz with all of our brothers, and mm. I was the champ. And, oh, that's cool! Um, yeah. You know, my brothers started to get a lot better and train as well, and uh, it really started catching up to me. And, and the last race, my my other brother beat me by one second, and uh -huh. so to go out there and run, um, I'm pretty excited about it because I know I'm going to be able to really do well the next time we go against each other and i'll probably Are your brother's all down there in texas now with you or so one of my my youngest brother is um my older brother my oldest brother's in the new england area uh second oldest is in buffalo with my dad and uh -huh. uh, running my my family business uh they've been in my dad's been in the fitness industry for over 30 years uh selling oh. fitness equipment oh cool and, and, uh, my brother rob looks like he's heading to tampa uh -huh. It's interesting, but um, no, there's there's a lot of so stuff. How, how do you compete in the stadium blitz then? Is it virtual or is it no? Like so it's actually a, an obstacle course race with 15 obstacles through an NFL or a college stadium. So it's um, we we ran we ran. So two do you of them compare on time, or do you actually run together in the same day against each so, other? Yeah, so it's actually a point system based on time. So if um, wow. you complete an obstacle, you get points. You can also skip it if you want, but you don't get those points. And then you also get a point for every second that you uh, beat the clock by under 40 minutes. So uh, it kind of gamifies it where you, know, you can skip an obstacle if you want, but if you can get through that obstacle fast, you actually have a, a huge advantage on somebody that can't do it. Uh, so mm. pretty cool concept. And there's also obstacles that you can fail. So uh, say like the balance beams worth 200 points, which is 200 seconds, which is two minutes and 40 seconds um, in points. Well, if you fall off the balance beam because you're going too fast, you don't get to go back and retry it. You just mm -hmm. lose out on those opportunities for points. So it's kind of, it's gamified. And so it's exciting. So you fall off the balance beam, you got to really just, you better start running and start running fast because 
you gotta you gotta make up two minutes and forty seconds on somebody. Some of the, most of the other obstacles, uh, you know, you're hanging from from ropes and stuff like that. And uh, if you fall off that, you can restart. But mm-hmm. if you restart on a longer obstacle like that, you're you're losing a lot of time as well. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's better to just go, especially if you're really tired and, and aren't going to be able to do it. So it's it's something that we started last year. Uh, we did two of them in two NFL stadiums. We had a whole tour built out for for 2020. Uh, we were able to do two of them, and then the rest have got canceled so far. Right. right. So this is a concept that that you came up. I'm I'm good friends with Joe Desana of Spartan, and. Uh, they their obstacle company has completely come to a standstill right now as well. Oh, yeah, and uh, they had events all over the world. But the you know the concept is so cool, and I love that that concept sounds really scalable because there's stadiums all over the place, and they're going to be you know underutilized going forward, in my opinion. Right? At least oh, absolutely, especially the college the college stadiums. They really only play you know one. They really only use it for games, and that's pretty right. much uh, which they right. only play you know eight games. Um, at home, maybe uh, a mm-hmm. year. So other than that, they're almost never used. So it's kind of like free inventory mm-hmm. and it's a cool partnership as well, because you can partner up with this built-in fan base pretty much uh, with right. the university and yeah. they're going to help because we're, we're doing split revenues with them. That's so cool. what do you call the concept again? Stadium What's racing? That? What's it called? Uh, it's called stadium blitz. Stadium blitz. Yep. And it, it is very cool. similar uh, to Spartan. Uh, they mm-hmm. do, they also do run through stadiums. Uh, right. They're more geared towards, you know, a little more hardcore. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to go out there, you're going to run through mud. And um, we're really geared more towards fans. So we're trying to give um, people an experience of coming on the field. It's going to be at night. The lights are going to be on. And you're going on your favorite field where your favorite players have played. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times um, in most of the events, the whole families, our families there as well. So you get to meet, you know, an actual player as well. Oh, that's cool. Now, this isn't your first entrepreneurial venture. Tell us about the transition, you know, from NFL into entrepreneurship. And I know you were on the Shark Tank. What was that like? You know, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned, you know, in that trend? Yeah, for sure. This is kind of a a cool story. Uh, It actually starts with a whole different business that my wife started. Mm. You know, I went to four teams in four years and, you know, counting college, you know, we we moved five times uh, in four years. So at that point, after year three, my wife said, hey, I am not finding another job. Like this is, right. this is ridiculous. Right. And uh, she actually said, I'm going I'm to find a way to work from home. And, you know, to me at that time, you know, I was making good money. And I just said, that's great. Like if you can do something uh, and just keep your, at least keep yourself busy and make a little you know side money, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she started hand painting wine glasses and I came home and she was baking them in the oven. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. This is what you came <laughs> up with. And uh <laughs> I kind of laughed it off, but you know, it, she liked it. And, um, she started, they started to sell and they started to sell so much that she couldn't keep up with it. And then at that point I was like, wow, like that's actually pretty interesting. I can't believe you're able to sell these. And, um, you know, she put together a whole business LLC and, uh, she had to find a way to scale it. So mm-hmm. her mom started helping her, but that wasn't enough. So she had to go from hand painting to actually using outdoor vinyl. And at that point she kind of realized that the wedding industry is perfect for this. Hmm. And I uh, started using websites uh, like Etsy that had a built-in customer base. And uh, the next thing I knew, like this thing was just, it was exploding. Hmm. Uh, so I, at that time, it was after my third year, I was looking for a new contract. I, was, I, I ended up signing with the Chargers. But in the meantime, I started looking into it and said, wow, like there really is this great opportunity here for personalized gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only company out there at the time was called Things Remembered. And it was really expensive. Uh, it took a long time, you know, one to two weeks to order something online and get it turned around. Or you had to go to the mall and 
you know, you're, you're paying, you're paying some good money for this. So mm-hmm. uh, I ended up coming back and you know, we put a lot of my NFL money into commercial grade laser engravers. And we started this business and within a year, we actually started making more money than I was making playing football. So <laughs> super profitable. Um, it was, it was crazy. We worked out of our house, uh, had a three car garage full of, uh, just product. I had mm-hmm. a spare bedroom that we actually had these, uh, these laser engraver fans because when you laser engrave, you actually, you burn it. So you're burning the wood and you're creating smoke. So you have to actually vent it. And, uh, we're venting it out of our, our guest bedroom in our house. And it, it was crazy, but it really was, it was, um, it was kind of like the American dream and it was just me in this room. And then pretty soon it was our, our brother-in-law was in there. And then pretty soon, uh, after a year, we had to finally get out of the house and right. you know, get a store and a warehouse. But, um, that was always my wife's passion. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I loved it. It made a ton of money. I, I put my heart into it. And, uh, you know, the I did business, that they still own, you still own the business or did that? Yeah, we still own it. It's still okay. growing today. Uh, awesome. it's called everything decorated and it does really well. Uh, still on Etsy. It's one of the best shops, uh, biggest shops on there has a website as well. But, um, what's the most but, popular product? Uh, so the most popular is it's actually a pocket knife. So, really? uh, a pocket knife, we engrave them, uh, with, you know, it'll be anything from I love you to, um, something like, you know, groomsman and the date on it. And right. what's cool about a pocket knife is people actually use them. So you give right. them a gift that's personalized that they don't just throw in the garbage. That's, you know, it's, it's a nice pocket knife that they end up using for their, the rest of their life. And so it's, it's cool. done really well for us, right but really anything, you know, she has robes, she has really anything for the wedding industry, uh, mm-hmm. gra- bridesmaid, groomsmen gifts. And it's actually, uh, you know, something that we never thought would go away, but during this time right now, weddings are actually canceled. So yeah, it is something that we had to pivot on and, um, you know, she actually started making gift boxes for birthdays and stuff like that. That say, she showed me one today. It was something about uh, "Happy Birthday from the Social Distance." <laughs> right, I love that. You got to uh, pivot, right? Yeah, you, you got to move fast. So, got to be agile. What's the name uh, of the company again? We'll get it's this. It's called uh, Everything Decorated. So it's EverythingDecorated.com. Thing decorated. Yeah, she just showed me a box and she said, "Look at all these sales." And I think she had forty sales and she just put it up a couple hours ago today, but. It is. It's something that you you have to pivot. You have to find a way right. to get through it, and and she is. And we we've been blessed that uh, you know the sales are still coming in because I thought mm-hmm. they would completely stop once people couldn't have a wedding anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's where we were with that, and I still help on that as well today. And, and she helps me on certain things as well. So it's a really cool relationship, and a lot of our employees will actually help out when when certain events happen as well. When one person, you know, one business is. I just has too much on their plate. We were actually able to help each other out. So that's, that's been cool. good. But um, for me, it, it came along, uh, you know, I, I was continuing to work out every day and mm-hmm. I was at the gym and I was here in Texas. And that's when this idea hit me for, for ice shaker, which mm-hmm. I ultimately then got on uh, shark tank for, but you know, I was, I was at the gym. I was using a plastic shaker. You know, they've been around forever. I had a cabinet full of them. And when I went to the gym, by the time I got there, you know, the ice had melted. I was making these little sweat rings on the ground at the gym. And every time I, I did a set, I put it down and it'd make a sweat ring. And I took a sip of it and it tasted awful. And I just said, <laughs> man, there's got to be something out there that I can go buy that will at least keep my drink cold. And, and you know, I still also needed it to be pretty easy to fill and, and mix stuff in and then easy to clean. So went home that day and there really was nothing out there. I mean, there was insulated bottles. You know, Thermos had made bottles for years. Right. But there really just wasn't that bottle for everything, that bottle mm-hmm. that you can easily fill with powder, shake it up, and then easily clean it mm-hmm. and also keep your drink cold. And so mm-hmm. I went and on a journey really at that point to make the best insulated bottle that I could. And the idea really wasn't just to make it for the gym. The idea was let's make one bottle for everything. 
So I could bring it to the gym, but I could also bring it to work. I could bring it on the airplane. I could bring it in the mm-hmm. car. Instead of having five bottles or cups in my sink at the end of the day, I really just wanted to have one. And so that's what I did. Um, I was able to get about $80,000 in sales in the first three months. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, six months. Um, and I was able to get on Shark Tank. And at that point, I felt that I had just enough sales to at least convince them that it was something that people wanted. Mm-hmm. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. So how did you do that? Did you, did you contact Shark Tank and submit an application or they so track you I down? Was, it's actually a pretty cool story. So in 2013, when I was still playing in the NFL, I had this email come through from my agent. Mm-hmm. And my agent, you know, he sent this just an email to everyone and said, hey, uh, the producers at Shark Tank are looking for any former or current players that would like to come on the show. And <laughs> so at that time, I was like, wow, you know, I love this show. I wish I could go on there. And yeah, I was in the middle yeah. of my career. So they want, they want a story as uh, around the founder as well as just the, the concept, I guess the show is. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, they want to drive traffic. There's always some interesting. Right, right. Yeah. It, it's all about entertainment at the end of the day and about right, ratings. Right. Yeah. And uh, so they knew that if they can get a pretty good player, they were going to, you know, they're going to be able to pull a new audience in uh, that mm-hmm. might not necessarily watch the show. So uh, I reached back out at that point. I uh, actually contacted the girl uh, in the email and she hit me back and said, you know, I no longer work there. I was I'm like, okay. oh man, come <laughs> on. And, uh, and so I then got an email shortly after and said, I did find out who works there now. And she put me in touch with her. So at that point, uh, you know, the, the, I think it was the producer at the time hit me up and just said, Hey, please submit a video and, and you know, here are the guidelines and, and make it the best you can. Cause this is kind of your one shot to impress everyone. So uh, I made this video and, yeah, it was it was ridiculous. I didn't know how to edit, so I was, you know, I was I was trying my best, but um, you know, it was it, I shot some video and I was ripping my shirt off and I was throwing <laughs> in like clips, catching football passes and uh, touchdowns, and it, it was crazy. But at the same time, it was entertaining. Right. And I'm like, all right, uh, you know, I, I hope this works, and I sent it in, and it was probably only a couple of minutes long, and just figured like, don't make it too crazy, don't make it too long, but make it entertaining. And um, I got an email back the next day. And they said, hey, we absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, now here's about uh, 500 sheets of paper that you could fill out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's your business plan, right? Make oh, sure yeah, you come they with just it. hit you with um, really everything to protect themselves. But it, it's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of paperwork and then still a lot of work from there. It's still about a three-month process to actually get in front of the sharks and actually pitch. And uh, what's crazy about it and what most people don't know is that even if you pitch, you might not err. And even if you get to the hotel, um, you might not even have a chance to pitch. So when I got there, there was actually people from the year before that were invited there that didn't get to pitch. So what they actually do is they, uh, they'll book six people a day. And if the first five are really good, they'll push the sixth one back to the next day. And then, you know, the same thing. And, and what they're counting on is that, you know, someone's probably really bad that they're not going to use or someone's not going to show up or, or something's going to happen. So uh, they want to overshoot and they want to have mm-hmm. extra people there. So even when you get there, you don't know if you're actually going to pitch. And then after you pitch, you don't know if you're going to air and you don't know when you're going to air. So 
I always thought it was super interesting that companies would run out of inventory when right. they, that this big, you know, this, this once in a lifetime opportunity was coming. And why would you have inventory? Well, once I got there and I, I realized that you're actually taking a gamble if you stock wow. up on inventory. Right. And when you stock up an inventory, you can actually sit on it for, you know, this is, it's almost a year long. So if you're the first one, uh, you know, it's October. If you're not, you can go, you know, next year all the way, I think up until June before you actually air. So you're taking a big gamble, especially as a young company stocking up on inventory. Right. Right. That's fascinating. How, how many companies have actually succeeded as a result of being on Shark Tank, do you think, or, or really give them a leg up? And it sounds yeah, like it so helped you out. That's actually our, and that's cool too. And <laughs> kind of crazy what people don't know is that when you get offered on Shark Tank, it doesn't close either. It, you know, you still have to go through the due diligence and it's right. a real deal. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a little bit over 50% actually close the deal. Okay. So the other, you know, more than 40% of people don't actually close the deal. They don't actually get the money. Uh, and they even if they're, even if they're offered it on air, like that's, you know, they want to invest. That's what happened. They, they'll either pass on your deal or, or one or more of the sharks will make an offer. Yeah. So even if they make an offer, you shake hands on the show, it doesn't if the sharks come in after and do the due diligence and, you know, maybe you, you kind of didn't tell the truth or, or something happened, or even if they change their mind or you change your mind, you know, that you can, you can walk away from the deal still. So only, I think it's about 55% of them actually close. We did end up closing, mm-hmm. but either way, if you err on that show, it, it's the exposure is huge and it is everything that they say it is. You know, you're going on, they have no idea who you are. Uh, they knew nothing about me. I mean, it's the real deal. It's the real thing. And the exposure from it is real and the mm. sales are real. And, you know, the, the money that they put in my account came into my account. And uh, you know, I took that money and we just invested it into more products. Uh, mm-hmm. At that time, I had one bottle, one size, and that was it. Uh, I knew this was a great opportunity for me to, to really build a line. And we now have over, over 150 different SKUs now in, in wow. our product catalog. That's great. So it was kind of like life before and then life after Shark Tank. What, what kind Absolutely. Of, uh, do they take yeah. the same equity or is every deal a little bit different? I mean, that- So every deal is different. Uh, mm-hmm. I went in asking for um, $100,000 for 10%. I ended up mm-hmm. getting $150K for, uh, for 15%. So I still had a million dollar valuation. At that time, I only had $80,000 in sales, but I was so new. So it, it was right. hard to put a value on it. Uh, looking mm-hmm. back, I wish I went in higher, but- uh, of course. You know, it, it is what it, it, it's, it's great. I mean, without and them, I wouldn't have had that proof. Have they supported you afterwards? I mean, have they become, you know, advisors or offered, you know? Content? Yeah. So Mark has been um, absolutely amazing. So he built out a team. He's been doing it for 10 years uh-huh. and he has over a hundred different Shark Tank companies. So he has wow. a full team. Uh, you know, I have an advisor that's assigned to me. I, I actually talked to him today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he'll help with everything. The, the best part that comes out of it really is connections. Mm-hmm. networking and, and just just help as well uh, mm-hmm. for some of the big questions. But at the end of the day, what people don't understand is that it's still me running the whole show. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not coming in and just taking over. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not sitting on a beach just enjoying it. You know, yeah, they don't really- want that because they're, they, they're on the shark tank. They're not going to run your business. Absolutely. Yeah. And what really the only thing that changed is that, you know, your sales, our sales are easily 10 times overnight, but our work also 10 times overnight as well. Right, you know, all the phone calls, all the customer service, I mean, all the packing, everything, you know, that, that also increased 10 times overnight as well. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough at that time that my wife had, you know, a bunch of employees that were able to help us because it was pretty mm-hmm. much just me at that point mm-hmm. when we, when we first aired and, uh, 
it would have been a tough road. And so I was able to kind of lean on her, get through that wave. And then after the wave hits, that's when business really starts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when right. you kind of have to figure out, hey, this is done. Like this is over with. How do I keep it going? Right. Right. And start building out your processes and marketing strategies. That's cool. We probably should start thinking about wrapping up because we could go forever. This has been fascinating. But I, I am curious, um, like we talked a little bit about your wife's company and you know how she's had to pivot. You know, two of you had to pivot that. How has this uh, shutdown affected you know your company? Yeah, so far, uh, very similar to her. You know, at first it, it hurt, and um, we had to step back and say, you know, what can we do in this time? Because with any downtime, any time we're slow, it's kind of an opportunity for everyone. Right. Uh, it's exactly. an opportunity for us to get better. So we immediately started pushing out content that was going to help people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like I said, it, it was it was tough for me early on uh, the first couple of weeks to kind of figure out my groove and. I knew other people were feeling the same exact way. So we use opportunity to start putting out, you know, healthy meals, uh, yeah. at home recipes that you could do. And then, uh, mm-hmm. at home workouts as well. Mm-hmm. And really started giving people, you know, stuff that they could actually do actually use. And they responded really well to it. And, um, you know, it's not just fluff. It, it, this is stuff that you know, I'm really doing. It's workouts I'm doing with my kids that I'm posting and, and we're sharing mm-hmm. it with people. And, uh, we also use the opportunity to start testing stuff to, to mm-hmm. make, that what we thought was good, let's make it even better. So mm-hmm. we started going through our website and we said, Hey, you know, this page does really well for us, but you know, it's also getting the most traffic. Like how can we take that and make it better? So we started testing our copyright. We started testing our images. Uh, it was impressive how much we learned and how much it actually increased our sales, our add to carts, all that just by changing the way that we wrote the, the, the information on the page. Hmm. Uh, and this was all stuff that we were, you know, we were comfortable with. But now that we had extra time, we said, hey, you know, let's dig deep and right. really figure out how we can get better at every aspect. And then you know, lastly, one of the best things I think that came out of this was what we're doing right now. This mm-hmm. was something that we weren't doing, uh, you know, our podcast ourselves. We upped it to two a week and then we were mm-hmm. able to get guests that we never brought on before because I always wanted to do it in person. You know, mm-hmm. I, I thought the audio was better. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the connection was better. And so I just felt personally, I, I felt like, hey, you know, if we're going to do a podcast with a guest, I want to be with them. Mm-hmm. And once this all hit, you know, we, we started to realize that we can't do it. Uh, I couldn't even do it with my co-host. So we had to start doing it over, uh, you know, the internet. And, um, we realized that this is actually a great opportunity to, to reach out to other people that don't mm-hmm. have as much to do right now. Mm-hmm. And it would actually bring on people with value. So we started bringing on people like nutritionists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started bringing on diet coaches. We started bringing on just, uh, you know, people like you that are going to mm-hmm. come and help, uh, people with a mm-hmm. mindset or, or, mm-hmm. or uh, just different habits that you could teach mm-hmm. them to be better during this time. So mm-hmm. we use it as a great opportunity to bring people in that could help people through tough times like right now. And it's been absolutely huge for us. So uh, cool. this is stuff that we're going to absolutely continue to do, mm-hmm. you know, probably for the rest of our, our careers and for yeah. the rest of the business life. That's awesome. Yeah. That just reinforces what I was saying. There's an opportunity here in the crisis to think differently, to add some, you know, change some things, pivot. And all of that can make it stronger, make us stronger, make our company stronger, our team stronger. And then also you have to consider what to let go of. Right. And that's hard, right? That's been hard for me. It's like, what can I let go of? We, we, we do an awful lot of things that maybe our old business model things that, you know, trail behind us because it's just hard to say goodbye. So, um, we have to think about that too. Have you had to let go of anything? 
I guess like uh, letting go of having to do, you know, thinking the mindset of in-person podcasts, that's one thing you let go of. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and there's, it, it's been another thing. And, and I think it's kind of funny because I'm actually wearing the headset to, uh, my, my video games that I, you know, I let go of 10 years ago, but, um, and we even, we even started to get into new markets, uh, with our product and, and reach new demographics. And one of them actually is the video game. Yeah. Demographic. It's a sport after all, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around that. Hey, it's a sport, <laughs> but we also realize that, uh, most people are sitting at home right now gaming and we actually make a bottle that it doesn't sweat. So you, your hands are going to stay dry while you're gaming. They're not going to get cold. Uh, it's, it's actually, uh, super easy to open. And it's not going to spill. And uh, it also blends these powders that all these gamers are using now at, <laughs> for, for energy and focus. So it's, uh, That's cool. it's almost like the perfect perfect bottle for gaming. And another thing that we kind of just stumbled upon because you know, we had this extra time and we said, hey, you know, what is everybody doing right now? And right. what they were doing was you know, they're gaming and they're watching mm-hmm. TV and different movies. So we, we tried to figure out a way to reach that demographic. And, and so far, we've been pretty successful with it. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. Well, Chris, it's been uh, an absolute joy to talk to you. What, what a lot of fun. I, I love your mindset and I love what you're doing and, and I appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. I'm glad we got to meet your kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one, awesome. of, uh, one of two for now. One of two for now. And yeah, c- congratulations on the the next one due in, next one sta- standing in the breach, <laughs> so to yeah, speak. Eight, yeah. It's, it's going to be here. interesting. It's May, huh? What's the due date? May? Yeah, uh, May 28th right now. So it's it's pretty late and, and hopefully this is all blown over by then yeah. so we have nothing to worry about. Yeah, let's hope so. Cool. Well, thanks again and stay focused and I look forward to being on your podcast soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. All right, everybody. That's Chris uh, Gronkowski and you can check him out at, at Chris Gronkowski. Uh, his um, podcast is Gronked Up and uh, his um his business with his wife is everything, everything decorated.com. And his uh, business is ice shake, right? Shake ice. Yep. Ice shaker.com. Ice shaker.com. Anything else you want to uh, put out there in terms of social media or websites? Uh, that's it. At uh, ice shaker bottle is our handles on Instagram, um, sure. Twitter, Facebook, uh, yeah, I've even, that's another cool thing that we've been doing as well is even Pinterest, uh, Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn, uh, all wow. that Chris Gronkowski, across the board, huh? you know, different platforms that we've been starting to hit because of, uh, you know, all the extra time that we have. <laughs> right. Then you're soon, you're going to wonder where all the time went. <laughs> I, I know my day goes by pretty quick, actually. <laughs> no doubt. All right. Thanks again. And thanks everybody for listening. This is Mark Devine, the Unbeal Mind podcast. We'll see you next time. Stay focused. Hoo-yah. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy.
120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.